Open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 7. We're in our second message of our Getting to the Heart of the Matter series. So the goal of this series is to help us answer the question, what's going on when we struggle and sin? And the Bible is so helpful in giving us answers that you really can't find anywhere else in this world that really help us know what's going on inside of us and how do we fix it? What is the solution to our sin and our struggles and our anger and anxieties and our fear of man and our envy and coveting and all these things we wrestle with and comparing with others. And it's so helpful as a teenager to learn uh, that our hearts are the issues because the Bible addresses our hearts. And we saw last month that the problem is not our circumstances. The problem uh, is not, you know, the other people around us. The problem is when we're struggling is, is our hearts. That's the problem. And so I read these verses last month and I want to keep hammering the same now. So this is Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 7, uh, verse 20. This is Jesus addressing the Pharisees, and in verse 20, he says this, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, Envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. And so we're going to kind of go through, we kind of introduced these verses last month. And each time we're going to go through and kind of hit a couple different topics. So tonight I want to focus on two words from that list that Jesus gave us there. The two words are coveting and envy. Compared to the other sins on this list, things like theft and immorality, adultery and murder, coveting and envy seem pretty mild. They can almost kind of go below the surface and go unnoticed, but they will eventually, Jesus says, come out of our hearts and they cause a ton of damage in our souls, uh, in our relationships together, in breeding discontentment in our lives. And I hope to show you tonight how serious envy is. And you may not even realize you're doing it. It's probably something that just goes unnoticed because in, in, in social media and how we live, envy is everywhere. Marketing has mastered the art of getting you to covet or envy something. And you may not even realize it's happening in your heart, but I hope to show you the effect of it and what it does, the consequences in your lives if you don't get to the heart of the matter and deal with envy. Last month, I started with a fictional story. Uh, let me give you an autobiographical story about this. So uh, when I was in high school, I lived in two different places in high school. I lived in St. Louis for two years. So my first two years of high school, I was in St. Louis. Last two years of high school, I moved to Memphis uh, was that, when I was in St. Louis, this may shock you, but I was on the basketball team, the JV basketball team. I started some, and I moved to Memphis, and I went to my new school, White Station, and the first day of school, I was really excited to play basketball. I'd played basketball since middle school and freshman and then sophomore year, and so I went into the coach's office 
who I, I found out who coached the basketball team, and I went into his office, and I was like, hey, coach, I introduced myself, and I said, you know, I just moved here from St. Louis, and I know you already did tryouts, but I want to, you know, try out for the basketball team. And the coach was sitting at his desk, you know, and I'll never forget, he was just sitting in his desk looking at me, and he kind of looked around the desk, and he looked me up and down, and he said, nope, we're not going to do that. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, this is a public school. I ha- you have to let me try out. I was offended. I was like, you have to let me try out for the basketball team. I said, son, you're not trying out for the team. I'm not wasting my time. It's like, you don't even know anything about me, man. Like, I could be an amazing basketball player. You know, I'm the Steve Nash of my generation of young kids. Like, trust me, you have no idea what you're missing here. And I remember being so offended and like angry and upset. And I left there. And this probably went on for a month where I was just ranting to my parents. You know, it's so unfair. Memphis is the worst. You know, he wouldn't even let me try out for the basketball team. That lasted all the way until I went to the first basketball game. And I remember like the second play of the game where the center on our team, White Station, got the ball. He went around this guy and he did a windmill dunk and like slammed it in. And I just sat there going, oh, this is why he wouldn't let me try out. And there was a guy on our team named Robert O'Kelly. So this would have been the guy that I was competing for his position as a point guard. Robert O'Kelly, just so you know, was amazing. He went on to play for Wake Forest basketball. He was, uh, as a freshman in the ACC, playing against teams like Duke and North Carolina, he averaged 17 points a game. He became an all-ACC legend, went on to play, play professional basketball. And when I was in high school, you could just imagine, like, I was trying out for the team, This guy was amazing in high school. Like, he would just walk down the hall, and he was the king of the high school. He was incredible. And I remember just envying Robert O. Kelly. I wanted to be him. I remember being so discontent with who I was. I was discouraged. I quit playing basketball altogether. So I played intramurals one time, and he showed up and started playing against us. And I remember just going home, like, I'm done with basketball for the rest of my life. and, I, I, and I, I say that to ask the question, what was going on there? Was, was Robert O'Kelly the problem because he was so good at basketball? Was he to blame? It was my heart. And I envied him. I was jealous of him. It made me discontent with who I was. It made me not enjoy basketball anymore. Uh, and I remember just, just not liking him, just wanting to not like him because he was so good almost wanting bad things to happen to him and rejoicing if they did. That's what envy does in our hearts. Envy, let me give you a definition of envy. Envy is a resentful awareness of an advantage of someone else. It's a resentful awareness of an advantage of someone else. It says, I want what you have. It's similar to coveting. But, but that's focused on things, like I want, I want that car, or man, I want that phone that he has. But envy says, I want to be like you. There's something you have, an attribute about you that I wish I had. And when I look at you and I look at myself, I'm aware I lack that thing, and I envy you. I wish I was like that. I crave to be like you are. And we begin to envy them. And according to Jesus, Envy defiles us. It's in our hearts. There's something going on in our hearts that defiles us when we envy. So we're going to look at envy through three points tonight. And in point three, we're going to get to the three trees, which I taught you guys about last month. And then in the discussion time, 
you're going to do that. You're going to practice doing the three trees again. And if you weren't here last month, I'll explain that in point three. So number one, point number one, envy is a universal problem. Point also known as, a.k.a., you struggle with envy. So I, I, I couldn't c- come up with a point, so I AKA'd it. So envy is a universal problem, a.k.a., you struggle with envy. Envy appears early and often in the Bible. I began to think about envy, and I was just shocked that I hadn't noticed this before, how prevalent envy is in the Bible. Think about it. We go from the Garden of Eden to jealous murder in just one generation. In Genesis, remember Cain and his younger brother Abel. Uh, God regarded Abel's offering and not Cain's, and Cain envied Abel, and he rose up in sinful anger and murdered him because he envied him, because God regarded Abel's offering and not Cain's offering, and Cain was jealous of him. It was a heart of envy behind the first sibling rivalry and the first murder, which was between the first siblings in the Bible. This continues through Genesis, a pattern of sinful sibling rivalry and envy. It comes up in Isaac's family as Jacob plots to take the blessing from Esau. And Esau responds by plotting to kill his brother. Remember the envy and the animosity between these two brothers. It happens in the next generation as Jacob unwisely shows favoritism to Joseph. And you remember what his brothers did. The brothers envied Joseph because the father gave him this special coat of authority, this coat of many colors, and they envied Joseph. And the father showed favoritism to Joseph, and they envied him. And so they plotted, what can we do? Maybe we can murder him or kill him. And so they decided to sell Joseph into slavery. It's why in Exodus 20, as God gives the ten basic commandments to his people to live by, number 10 says, you shall not covet. You you shouldn't want your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife or anything your neighbors have. You shouldn't want what belongs to someone else. And envy says, I want what you have. It shows up early and often in the Bible. We see it among the first siblings in the Bible. It's in the Ten Commandments. Jesus says it's a sin. He puts it in his list of sins that defiles us. And the Apostle Paul continually puts it in his list of sins. Whenever Paul lists out a bunch of sins, you will almost always find envy in that list. Romans 1, as he talks about uh, those filled with unrighteousness, he says they are full of envy. He puts envy along things like haters of God, murderers, insolent, inventors of evil, full of envy. This is not a innocent sin. It is deadly. Romans 13.13, he puts it in his list there, calling it quarreling and jealousy. 2 Corinthians 12.20, he lists those again who have quarreling and jealousy along with hostility, anger, slander, and gossip. And then in Galatians 5, as he's talking about the, the flesh, the fruit of our flesh that comes out, he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, and drunkenness. You see these these, these sins keep coming out in these lists of deadly sins, envy and jealousy and rivalries. And as these illustrations pile up, 
we see every single person in this room has or currently is tempted to envy. And the fruit it bears in our life is discontentment, sinful anger, wanting to harm others, wanting the worst for them, wanting to see them suffer and be punished and have bad things happen to them. This is all coming out of our hearts. Envy is destructive. This is what Proverbs 14.30 says. It says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. That is a vivid picture to me. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. The NIV translate that a heart of peace. And so the Proverbs, Solomon is showing, showing a huge contrast between a heart of peace and a heart of envy. And so when you feel yourself discontent and you feel I'm not at peace and I'm not happy and I'm struggling and I want something and I'm not getting it, I bet deep down in your heart, envy is probably to blame. Something has gotten in there. They have this. This isn't fair. I want that. I'm not getting what I want. They're getting something they don't deserve. And it comes out in this heart that just makes our bones rot. Listen, if your heart lacks peace, it could be because of envy. Envy is a universal problem, a.k.a. you struggle with envy. Point number two, getting to the heart of envy. So what's going on when we struggle with envy? Ultimately, envy is a sin against God because God made us and He assigns who we are, what we look like, what we are gifted at. So when, when we compare ourselves to someone else and we envy them at the root is an accusation against God and ingratitude against God. This is what Jerry Bridges says. He says, we must recognize that to be envious or jealous of someone is either eliminating God from the picture or else accusing Him of being unfair. When we are envying somebody, we have we are not thinking about God. We're not thinking about how God made us. We're not thinking about God's glory in that person's life. We're accusing God of being unfair. We've eliminated God from the picture. And the reality the Bible tells us is that God created us with all kinds of differences. He, he doesn't make two people exactly alike, even identical twins. They're not exactly alike. We talked about this at Brenner with Jonathan and Henry. They have differences. They're, they're identical twins. They're not exactly alike. He doesn't make two people exactly alike. And so God created us with this wide array of differences for His glory. He makes every, every person different, every person unique, and God says that's good. That's what God says. He looks at His creation, He looks at the differences, and God says this is good. Now, we don't always say that when we look at it. We think this is bad. You know, this person has an advantage over me. I envy them. But God says it's good. And what envy does is envy notices the differences in how God made us. But instead of celebrating, instead of giving glory to God, instead of rejoicing and thanking God, envy selfishly compares and greedily covets what others have and we become discontent 
with what we've been given. It's why it makes our bones rot. We're not happy and we're dissatisfied and, and we want to be someone other than we are. We aren't enjoying God and how He made us. Envy has these thoughts that says things like, that person is so pretty and I'm so ugly. Or that person is really smart and I'm so dumb. That person is really gifted at basketball and I am a loser. That person is so funny and nobody laughs at my jokes. I'm such a moron. Or that that person is so outgoing and I'm just an introvert, you know? Nobody likes me. Nobody likes being around me. You see, every one of those thoughts at the core is selfish. It sounds humble, doesn't it? Oh, that person is so good at this and man, I just stink. I'm so ugly That person doesn't have to work at this. They're so smart and I study so hard and I get bad grades, you know. And it sounds like we're being humble, but really those are selfish statements at the core. They're self-focused. There's no God focus in any of those statements. We're not thanking God for how He made us and made others and the vast variety in how He has done that. Envy is a universal problem because, listen to this, okay, Why envy will always be a problem is there will always be someone better than you at everything in life, okay? Like, I know that nobody says that anymore, you know, but it's just a reality. Like, there will be someone better than you. You cannot be the best at everything. There will always be someone better than you, and especially according to the world's values, And that's what's happening when we envy somebody. We're taking the world's values and the world tells us, here's what's truly beautiful. Okay, this certain body type, this certain image, certain hair, and then somebody fits that and we look at them and we envy them because we've adopted the world's values. And we think, I can never be like that. And we become discontent with who we are. Envy is at the root of that. Uh, I love this, how biblical counselor David Powelson calls these different values the world has set up. He calls them ladders to nowhere. And he says, God made us with this wide array of differences, right? We're all different. We're all made different. We have different giftings, different athleticism. We have different intelligence, different looks. We're different. Some are athletic, some are not. You know, we're all different. There's this wide array. And what the world does is the world says, This is valuable, and that's not as valuable. Uh, This is valuable, that's not as valuable. Having more money is valuable, being poor is less valuable. Being beautiful is valuable, and this is less valuable. So they're taking these differences, and they're turning them up on a ladder, and they tell us, if you climb this ladder, you're going to be more valuable. And so we envy people, because we're on this ladder, and... Little 11th grade Mike Pluniak is down the ladder in basketball way down here and I'm looking up the ladder and this guy's way up here at the top of the ladder in my book and I envy him. And because I'm going by the world's values and really I love how Powelson calls them ladders to nowhere because if we attain any of those things we're no closer to God. That's why it's a ladder to nowhere. It doesn't lead anywhere. It doesn't make us closer to God. We spend our lives trying to climb these ladders and we find at the end I haven't gotten anywhere. I'm just discontent. I'm striving. I'm unhappy. You know, there's still, no matter how high I climb on this ladder, there's someone higher up than me on these other ladders. We never arrive because of envy. I I found this article in Time 
about lottery winners. I don't know why over the years. I've read a lot about lottery winners and how unhappy they are. Uh, but I read this article, I found it hilarious, about lottery winners. It's not about the winners, it's about their neighbors. This is really interesting. She writes, if you don't win, and we all know almost everyone who plays the lottery loses, you might think the next best thing would be for someone in your community to hit it big and win the lottery. After all, a sudden windfall would probably lead the winner to throw a party for their neighbors, indulge in fancy landscaping, or splurge on other things that make the neighborhood a nicer place. The idea makes sense, but there's a downside to living near a lottery winner. Neighbors of lottery winners are significantly more likely to declare bankruptcy within a few years of the big event than are people living near ordinary folks. So this is a 2016 study, and they studied not just lottery winners, but their neighbors. And they found that if you live near a lottery winner, you are more likely to go bankrupt. And here's why. It says, the study found that every $1,000 increase in lottery winnings raises the risk of neighbor's bankruptcy by 2.5% for every $1,000. Why the negative ripple effect? When people win the lottery, they often spend some of the money on here's what the author calls them, envy-inducing goodies, like new cars, boats, and supersized TVs. Researchers say that these lifestyle upgrades then tempt their neighbors to boost their own spending on visible markers of prosperity, even though they haven't had a sudden run of financial luck. Down the road, that leads to more bankruptcies. Isn't that interesting? It's the neighbors. They're seeing this person won the lottery. Man, he got a new car. I want a new car. They go buy a new car, but they didn't win the lottery, so they don't have money for the new car. But it's envy-inducing goodies. And I just think, man, this is, I read that article, and I thought, this is so true. I mean, Jesus said this 2,000 years ago about what comes out of our hearts, and it just proves true today. Everybody who's done marketing classes knows this is true. Your whole goal in marketing is try to get somebody to want that product, to want that service, to induce envy in somebody. Envy is always aware of who is further up the ladder. I heard one person define envy as the art of counting someone else's blessings other than your own. Envy is the art of counting someone else's blessings other than your own. And here's the thing about envy. Envy usually says it's not fair. That's what envy says. It's not fair. They always get blank, whatever it is. They always get blessed. They always get this. They always get to go there. It's not fair. The huge issue with envy is we think it's unfair and we end up accusing God of being unfair. Listen to counselor Ed Welch. He says, if we demand fairness as one of our core values, jealousy is sure to follow. Unchecked by repentance, destruction is sure to follow. That's, that's a great statement. If we demand fairness as one of our core values. And I know, you know, it's easy to see this, this demand for fairness or this envy if we look at children. You know, you can watch a child playing with another child and they have a toy they want and 
you can just see it in their face, like somebody took their toy, you know? Their peace is disrupted, their heart is in turmoil, they're demanding fairness, which always, mans, which always means I get the toy, you know, this isn't fair. That just means I want that, and you shouldn't have it at all, which is fair for me, but not for you, you know? It, we see this in kids. It leads to jealous anger, even to the point where they're happy if the mom takes the toy away from both of them. You ever had that where as long as they don't get to play with it, I'm happy. But if they get to play with it and I don't get to play with it, I'm never going to be happy. That's envy. Knox was serving in children's ministry a few weeks ago, and he said there was a little girl who her friend was sitting next to another little girl at another table. And he could just tell she was unhappy. And she said, like, that's my friend, and she's sitting next to that girl, and I don't like that girl because she's sitting next to my friend. And I thought, that is envy at work in their little hearts. And it drove her crazy, and she was angry. The whole class, never happy because she didn't get to sit next to her friend. And these are, you know, it's easy to see in children when they're envious and they're demanding something for themselves. It's a little more subtle in our hearts because we get, we're, we're a little better at hiding it, you know. We can play the game a little better, but it's just as deadly. Maybe you're scrolling through Instagram and you see a friend of yours hanging out with some other friends and you were not invited. What happens in your heart? I'm guessing it's the same thing that happened in that little girl's heart when her friend was sitting next to somebody else. It's the same thing that goes on in our hearts. Envy begins to rise. You were happy a minute ago. All of a sudden, you're discontent. You're discouraged. You're questioning your friendship. You're angry at the person. You're wondering why they didn't invite you. You're wondering, are we even friends at all, you know? They didn't invite me to go with them this time. What's the source of that? It's envy in our hearts. Envy thrives on comparison, which is why social media fuels our envy. Because we live in a constant state of knowing what everybody else is doing all the time, which means we're always comparing with what we're doing, and we're always tempted to envy them. Social media is fueled by interaction and likes and reposts. And so we'll even say, oh man, they didn't like this. And They posted and they got 42 likes and I posted and I got 8 likes and why don't people like me like they like them and we envy how many likes they got, you know, it fuels our envy. This is what Tony Ranke says. He says, in effect, social media becomes a bellows that keeps pumping fuel into the internal fire of our envy. Really encourage you to, to look at your social media and think about the effect it has on your soul. If it fuels and and puts more uh, gasoline on the fire of your envy. This is the heart of envy. This is what's going on inside of us, okay? Number three. So we saw we have a problem with envy. That's the heart of envy. Number three, the cure for envy. And this is where we have our lovely three trees here. So I had somebody else draw this in advance because my drawing was so bad, and you guys... We're mocking you, mocking me, you know, and I really felt bad about myself afterwards and just not very good at drawing like other people, you know. So uh, this is the three trees, which shows the heat, the effect, the negative fruit we see come out of our lives. We get down to the heart. We take the heart to the cross of Jesus Christ. From the cross flow streams of living water, and from that, new fruit comes into our life. So let's think about envy for a moment. 
and what this might look like in our lives. So let's say you are comparing to someone else who is hanging out. I don't know the situation. I don't have a specific one this time, but we, we can use me as an example if you want to. So we'll put the heat as Robert O'Kelly. Boo. He's actually a really nice guy. I feel so bad nowadays. I looked him up and he like teaches at a Christian school and works at a church and I should probably call him up and tell him I'm sorry for hating him through high school. But Robert O'Kelly's the heat. Okay, what comes out of our hearts when we're envying, okay? What we see coming of our, out of our hearts are things like rivalry, um, you know, complaining, discontent. We're not happy. We don't get to do something. Everyone else gets to do it. So maybe, maybe a situation for you might be all these people get to go do something and your parents say, no, you can't do that tonight. We talked about that last month. And, and you're discontent. You're not happy. You know, you, you lack joy could be the fruit going on in your life. All these things are happening. Uh, you know, you could call it jealousy. You're, you're jealous that a friend of yours is hanging out with some other friends and you want to protect that friendship for yourself. You're, you're dissatisfied could be another description of it. So all this fruit is coming out in your life, okay? And where you want to be is you want to be over here, but it's just something's going on. You can tell something's wrong. I'm not happy. I'm discontent. I'm struggling. And when you realize, you know what I'm doing? I'm comparing and I'm envying somebody else. The heart of it is just this self focused envy. It's so good to get to the heart of it because when you name it that, you go to Mark 7 and Jesus tells us this is what defiles a person. It's this, it's this pride of envy. Ed Welch says, unchecked by repentance, destruction is sure to follow. Once we realize what's going on, that we, our hearts have envy inside of them and it's coming out. It's showing itself in discontentment. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm not happy. All these things are coming out of my heart. I'm realizing it's envy going on. And then right here, I love this. And then we can repent of envy and we can put our faith in Jesus Christ that He died for our sins. That's the cure for envy. We repent of it. And the cross says something to our envy, doesn't it? The cross reminds us when we think this is unfair, this isn't right that these people get to do this. This isn't fair what's happening to me. Why is this person blessed? Why does this person get to do this? Why does this person get to go out and I have to stay home and do these things? Whatever's causing the envy, probably at the source of it is this statement, this isn't fair. I deserve something better. That's what envy says. What does the cross say to us? The cross says, I deserve something much worse. The cross is the most unfair thing that ever happened because Jesus Christ, who was completely sinless, bore the wrath for our sin and we who deserve hell and eternal wrath of God get to go free. We get set free because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So when we repent of our envy, we go to the cross and we say, Lord, forgive me. Like, I think I deserve something better than this. I, I think I deserve more out of life. I think I deserve all these things. And really, what I deserve is hell. And you took that for me on the cross so that I could be forgiven. My kids know this. So I, I, you, parents, here's a little parenting tip. Whenever they've said, this is unfair, I ask them, you know what's fair? What's fair? 
hell is fair. That's what I tell my kids since they were little kids. And it's shocking, but it's just the truth, isn't it? Like, this is unfair. You want to know what's fair? Hell is fair. Everything else is grace. Everything else in our life is grace. And that's what the cross says to us. The cross says, this isn't fair that Jesus died for our sins, but he did it because he loves us. And I'm discontent and I'm angry and my heart is envious. And I take that envious heart and I take it to the cross of Jesus Christ and I take it to the blood of Jesus Christ and I think, what's not fair is the sinless one bearing the wrath of God for my sins. That's the cure for envy. And from the cross and when we repent of our envy, He fills us with, our, with His Holy Spirit. Streams of living water flow into our heart. And instead of envying somebody, what replaces that in our heart is we begin, I'm writing sideways now, so you're never going to be read this, but we begin to glorify God. And we begin to thank God. And instead of envying that person, we, we thank God. We say, Lord, thank you that they get to enjoy that. That's my friend. I love this person. Another thing you could say replaces envy in our heart is love. We love God and we love others. This is what 1 Corinthians 13.4 says. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. See, love is the opposite of envy. When we are, when we are envious of somebody, wh- who are we loving in that moment? We're loving ourselves. When, when we go to the cross, what's replaced in our hearts is a heart of love. And if you love somebody, you want the best for them. Love doesn't envy. If I'm not loving myself and I'm loving that person, then when they get to do something, I think, man, I'd love to do that. That sounds great. I'm so happy my friend gets to do that. I'm so happy they get blessed. I'm so thankful for the differences in our lives. I'm thankful they're good at this and I'm not. I'm thankful that God made them this way. We begin to rejoice and thank them. And the fruit in our hearts is, you know, we're filled with joy. There no longer is envy rotting our bones, but we have peace in our hearts. Our hearts are no longer at turmoil. Uh, instead of being discontent, we're content. We're thankful because Christ died for our sins. We love our friends. We're, we're thankful for them. We encourage others. You know, instead of uh, being discouraging about the differences and envying them, we, we build them up for how God created them and the gifts that God has given them. And it's so freeing when you, when you get set free from envy and you love others and the fruit in your life is this peace and this joy and this encouragement and you're filled with faith. Uh, it transforms your life. And that's the, that's the goal of this series is getting to the heart of the matter. It seems it would be hard to persist in envy if we can say with Paul what Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. That's what the cross says to us. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed me in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And if you can live right there in Ephesians 1.3, if you realize how blessed you are, what Jesus has done for you, how He has saved you, how He has set you free from your sins, how He shed His own blood for you and fills you with the Holy Spirit... What more could we want? You know, like that, that's the cure for coveting and envy. It's Ephesians 1, 3 and the cross of Jesus Christ. 